Hello, welcome to another episode of the show. Today we are joined by Karen Niebenhausen. She is an assistant professor at the Department of Public and Occupational Health, Colonel Institute, and a senior researcher at the Dutch Research Center for Insurance Medicine at Amsterdam UMC. She is also the secretary of the ICO-WDPI Scientific Committee, and as a principal educator, she works on protecting the mental health of medical students. We are also joined by our co-producer, Neha Rao, and I am your host, Aditi Bhatt. Welcome to the show. Hello, Dr. Karen. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Aditi. Very, uh, I'm very happy to be here <laughs> to meet you online, though. But... Yes, and I cannot wait to meet you in person in September. Yes, yes. I'm looking forward to that, too. So we'll have fun there. Absolutely. Um, a fun fact um, for our listeners, uh, Dr. Karen here is currently in training for Hang Sudu Black Belt. So Don't if you, you come, know, say in, in, in Dutch, but uh, probably sure. Yeah, for the promising thanks you know in uh, in, in, in English. Um, yes, uh, a Korean martial arts, um, which I got interested in because my daughter was uh, participating, and I was, sit was sitting there, uh, and I thought, why not join her? So um, yeah, we're currently both training. And how long have you been training? I think it's been six or seven years without uh, but of course we didn't do it during the pandemic because it was very close yeah. close contact well it's not a, a full contact sport so uh, we try not to hit each other too hard <laughs> definitely helps your bond i bet yes <laughs> yes 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 we, uh, it's, it's really nice so uh, yeah and it's good when you it's a good sport when uh well, you get older because you have to start learn new things and, mm. and move muscles you didn't even know you had. Oh. Uh, it's really nice. Nice. I'm going to keep that in mind. And I also hear that you're a big fan of music festivals and music in general. Yes. Yeah, I am. Um, um, I, I go to a few uh, festivals a year and um, I, have a, I have a very broad taste in, uh, in music. And uh, But I really like live music uh, outdoors. And uh, seeing uh, seeing my favorite artists, etc. Yeah, do you I really have like a favorite? That. Do you have a favorite festival or a favorite artist? Yes. Well, my favorite artists are is, is a band called Placebo, which mm -hmm. might sort of an indie nineties mm -hmm. uh, band. Not sure if you if you know it, but uh, uh, I also uh, like metal music, which might not be appealing to everybody, but um, uh, yeah, it's really uh, it's really nice. Um, I'm, I'm sort of the old one, the old one out on those festivals, <laughs> all together with a few other people. But uh, um, yeah, it's it's very. It's also good to know that at metal festivals, the nicest people uh, are uh, part of the uh, uh, part of the crowd because uh, they, they take care of each other. They're really nice. They're open. It's uh, yeah. You'd, you'd expect something different from the the, the sound yeah. of the music, but it's really really nice. That's really interesting. I'm going to have to go to one and find that out for myself as well. Yeah, well, maybe in September in India. I'm not sure if there's <laughs> any festivals out there. I'm not sure. I'll definitely do some Googling. I'm sorry about the airplane going right over my head right now. Oh, I didn't hear it until you said it, but uh, it's good to know. <laughs> Um, every time I do research and every time we do research into our next speaker, we are always interested to know um, how did you get into the field? How did you land um, in this uh, uh, in your field where you look at mental health problems in the workplace? Um, and what was the journey that got you here? And I know from our previous conversation, it's a long winding journey, but I think our listeners uh, will be interested to know. 
Oh, I, I thought you were going to say, but please keep it short. Um, so I'll, I'll get into the long story then. <laughs> but uh, um, well, I think it, it all started, I was working as a psychologist in, in addiction care. Um, and that's where it sort of uh, started to sort of, sort of nag in my, in my conscience that we were doing a lot of things, but we didn't know what was the best thing we could do for our patients because there was a, there was a lack of evidence at that time. Uh, and I decided that I, I needed to be a researcher investigating like effectiveness of interventions because I wanted to know, you know, uh, are we doing the right things and can we do better things for people? Um, so I, it's really coincidence that I, um, uh, I um, uh, started to work at the occupational health department because they were sort of investing a, a occupational health intervention for people with mental mm -hmm. health uh, problems. So the actual journey towards um, occupational health was a bit, bit more of a coincidence. I could have easily applied for another mental health type of intervention. Uh, but what it made me stay there is, is more of the... Um, it was so interesting to see that um, uh, if you don't address mental health problems in the workplace, people will start doing either nothing, like people will stay off work for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. um, uh, well, it's not necessary. There, there are things you can do. Uh, and also, uh, I wanted to change that, I think. I think that's what kept me going. And also, uh, the hard thing is that a lot of individuals have to do things they're um, it's sort of contra-to-intuitive. Um, if, you, if you have a mental health problem, you think you need to stay away from the place that got you in this situation or, you know, workplaces can also be a source of stress. Uh, and uh, to sort of get away from that is a very logical feeling for people with mental health problems. Um, but we also know that if people don't stay away from the, um, from the workplace and if they get a you know, sort of uh, an easy way and a very uh, easy build-up in their return to work. It's very healthy for them. So mm. that the whole um, sort of contradiction that there's things that are really good for people, mm. but sometimes those same people feel that it's not the right thing to do. Right. Um, that's really uh, what got me interested, I think. Um, and also as somebody who's uh, dealt with anxiety for most of her life, um, I know that every time I get anxious, my natural instinct is to go inward rather than get out of the house. And it takes, um, it takes either a friend or a therapist to say, actually, getting out of the house is really good for you right now. Yes. Yeah, and, that, and that's just, well, you're not alone. <laughs> yeah. Most people would think that it's, you know, I'm going to just stay really calm and wait until this horrible feelings uh, start to fade away yeah. and that's and i have to be at my home but then you know next thing you know it, it'll be hard for you to go to grocery shop shopping exactly. there's also be an anxiety invoking event so uh, it doesn't work but it's very logical that we think it works um so what have you found um helps um uh, change this mindset and it's so interesting because i just got off uh, another conversation uh, where we were talking about the importance of mindset. So what, how, what can one do in order to change um, the way people perceive, um, people perceive their experience? Well, I think, I think you sort of gave a clue there that sometimes you need someone else to help you to tell you that. So I think that um, to really help people return to work in mental health problems, you need to 
have a, a occupational health professional or someone's very uh, knowledgeable of, of how these types of processes work and how important mm. uh, work can be for structure and social interaction and also for recovery. Mm. Um, and I think um, in a lot of jury, well, uh, different like social legal contexts, uh, it will be a different person or type of professional or uh, a, a person who can help you um, uh, see these types of benefits and make mm. sure that it's uh, that it's a safe return to work. Make sure that you know because it doesn't work saying, "Well, you need to come back because we know it's healthy." Um, there has to be a plan, and um, people need to be feel safe. Yeah. Need to feel that there's room to also, you know, mm. if, if it doesn't work, to sort of. Uh, be um, uh, to, to get back uh, to, to cut down their hours yeah. maybe um, and also to to talk about what are the the things in your workplace in your specific work that makes it so, make it so hard for you um, because it's, it's it can be really different for really different people mm-hmm. um, people need to also make sure that it's you come back to something that's also rewarding mm-hmm. so you know don't only think, oh, it's going to have to be easy. We can't stress them out. So let them, you know, copy documents uh, in, uh, by themselves in a different room. No, we, you need to interact with other people. But right. you also you have to be very uh, specific about what are the things that make it really hard. And can we, you know, think of things that make it easier for you to return to work? And that kind of um, person needs to be there um, because that mindset doesn't change on its own usually the experience of being at the workplace and interacting with other people, that what sort of changes your mindset. Yeah. Uh, but if you never get to that point, you'll never have the opportunity. Um, so help people get over that first step and the second mm-hmm. step, usually. Yeah. That's wonderful. Um, and we were going through your research and a portion of your research is focused on sickness absent- absenteeism. Yes. Um, can you talk to us about the preconceived notions around acknowledging the mental health disorders um, and how they affect an employee's return to work? Yes. Uh, well, um, yeah, a lot of my work is on, on sickness absence in mental health problems. And um, I think it's very, um, it really depends on which country you're, you're living in, uh, mm. what kind of preconceived notions there are. Yeah. Um, I think there's this uh, thing that really stuck in my mind that if the uh, I was once in, in Canada where um, you know work disabilities only compensated if people are uh, sick due to work. Yeah. And then mental health was not on the list. Well, it wasn't at the time when I was presenting uh, there. Um, so a, a mental health problem could not be the cause of your work disability. And in the Netherlands, you know, we have an all-cause type of system. So in our in our country, it's very uh, normal to be off work due to depression or due to due to stress, and it will be mm. like acknowledged uh, and compensated financially right. in the same way as a physical problem. So I remember being in a um, uh, presentation in Canada, and, and there were, and I said, "Well, I'm going to talk about return to work and mental health problems," and I had this whole talk and at the end of the talk someone asked me well Karen can you tell me what were why were these people off work I was like mental health problems <laughs> no but what was the reason they were sort of off work and I said well mental health problems and they said no no I mean were they having back problems or were they having pain or why were these people off work and 
uh, only then I sort of understood that they were thinking I was talking about sort of additional problems next to your back pain or your um, uh, your other physical problem. So I think one of the that's that's also a notion that you know um, in some countries like having a mental health problems on its you know on its own isn't even yeah. accepted. Um, yeah. So that's that's a sort of the, I think a bit of a first step, mm. I guess. It's just destigmatize um, that notion that mental health problems not a problem. Yeah, and sometimes it's, it's I think so. The, 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 the systems really influence how we think about um, yeah. what's real and what's not real. Um, and I think also in 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 if, even if it's uh, accepted, even if we accept that mental health problems do play a role, uh, there's also this this notion of people um, feeling well. You know, if, it's, if there's mental health aspects relevant then um it's also it's something you have to change and sometimes you can change like specific notions but sometimes we sort of people try to uh well maybe the medical field is more was well times are changing but the medical field was sort of thinking well oh so mental health problems is sort of a thing you need to sort of uh, change and people can then can then return to work so uh sickness absence is behavior it's what mm. a lot of um, people said after we started to see that sickness absence was not just a disease, mm. a physical disease, but also could be you know influenced by a lot, a lot of broader uh, um, uh, factors. Then people started thinking, yeah, so it's it's only behavior, so we need to treat the behavior, and there's no medical, there's no uh, actual treatment needed. We just make have to make sure that we change the behavior of people off work. So uh, that's also a thing I'm 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 not comfortable with. I think there's mm. also um, uh, a lot of times we also need to actually treat the mental right. health problem or the physical problem to which right. mental health problems adds. Yeah. Um, I was talking to, and I think I brought this up in our last conversation as well. I was talking to a Professor Michael Sullivan. And he was talking about how in the field of research, and I've, I, I think I've repeated this in the uh, previous episode as well, but field of research has now changed the way pain management and mental health disorders are perceived. That is not true for clinical systems and insurance systems and workplaces though. So there is a really big disconnect over there, right? Um, and uh, solving it is a challenging task and it re involves multiple stakeholders, but um, so what you just told me, a lot of other people have echoed as well. And so my next question is, and I think this will again depend on the context of which country you're from, but in your um, experience, how open have colleagues and supervisors been to sickness, absenteeism, or uh, taking a leave because of mental health problems? Uh, yes, well, um, it's really hard to have a sort of a general answer to that because I think uh, workplace culture is is, is very um, important in this. Um, mm. uh, I think it's it's also something we can we can change, and I, I've only sort of in my research looked at it. Um, well, like this specific topic in uh, healthcare organizations. Mm -hmm. Um, and where we um, where we found that if, if you really want to address the stigma in on mental health problems and getting relief on yeah. you know, mental health problems, you, there there's there needs to be this approach where where like the, the the top of the organizations need to really really support that because it can be a lot of 
interventions you want to do with you know supervisors at lower levels but if these so supervisors have to report to people uh, you know higher up in the organizations who are not um, uh, giving them the same message like it's okay to sometimes not feel really good and we, mm. we need to take care of each other and um, uh, mental health is important uh, then it's really um, these, then yeah it's sort of futile to sort of implement uh, yeah. and try to change the culture if it's not also uh, supported by the top management. So I think that's one of the um, uh, things that really uh, changes it. Mm -hmm. um, I think time has also, uh, well, in the Netherlands, specific, I, I know for sure that time has done a lot of uh, good in accepting um, mental health mm. uh, problems. Um, and then still there's... Um, there's recently been, been a discussion in the Netherlands uh, by, uh, by a, uh, well, a colleague, uh, Professor Christian Finkers, who sort of uh, said, well, why are we accepting burnout for, as, as a, um, um, well, the fact that usually people have to say they're burnout because mm -hmm. depression isn't, because the label of burnout feels like it's, you've been a hardworking professional and you're now sort of really tired and exhausted. Um, as opposed to uh, a depression, which has much more stigma attached to it, because it, for for people, uh, it's often more viewed as sort of a well a failure or an actual disease, or it's not associated with the hardworking um, professionals. Um, and these these are also um, uh, yeah uh, interesting things. With let's a lot of stigma is very you know multi fragmented yeah. uh, problem and we have to uh, we have to address so uh, it's hard to say how everybody thinks uh, about mental health but uh, in the Netherlands I think it's been more accepted as you know thinking back to the time where I started that's really encouraging to hear because it gives me hope that you know slowly it's going to change worldwide um, and but thank you for that perspective though uh, I think it's important to get out of one's bubble and see what's happening elsewhere in order to get a little bit of hope back um, so, but thank you for that. So we've spoken about the treatment side of it and the prevention side of it. And your keynote at Primus actually discusses strategies available for assessing psychosocial risk factors for mental health problems in the workplace. Um, can you tell us why we need to assess these risk factors in the first place? Um, well, I think basically because uh, uh, there, it, it does start with a um, like a creating a healthy work environment is, is really really important, and um, I think in, in the psychosocial risk factors, there's no one size fits all. There's, so there's no one pro thing you need to change, and then every mm -hmm. workplace will be a healthy healthy workplace. There's like different work circumstances. It can be um, uh, there's different work cultures. There's different types of workers in, in workplaces. So. I do think it's very important to know what in your organizations like the real problems are. Mm. Um, and then I'm saying assessment, but it, it, assessment can be, in my view, can be um, done in many different ways. There's there's like uh, WHO um, accredited like basic uh, instruments you can use, but mm. uh, sometimes you also need to talk to your to your workers, and um, we also see that a lot of um, workers are sort of really capable of, of seeing what in their workplace they sort of have the most uh, are, are most stressful and sometimes they also see a lot of solutions 
um, uh, so sometimes it's also you know talking to people into, yeah. actually implementing the the things they're uh, they're suggesting and, and maybe not everything can be implemented very easily but i think there's also a lot of you know um industry say low hanging fruit but i'm not sure if that's an international <laughs> phrase no it's yes, so like yes. you can there's easy okay, changes. The easy solutions and then they're harder to implement solutions. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And, and these are some also needed. But so I think without assessment, it, it's hard to know what you need to do uh, in your organization. Um, what are some examples of risk factors? Um, and I know, again, this it depends on context. So let's take Netherlands as the context for this one is um, what uh, what are some risk factors that you've seen? Um, and this is just so um, people who don't have an understanding of psychosocial risk factors can gauge um, what something like this can look like. Well, I think one of the easiest things to say is, is workload, which is, you know, how how. how how hard do people have to work and are and within you know which time uh, constraints? So if you have to really work really hard and you're in a lot of time pressure, that's also that's like one of the basic um, uh, psychosocial risk factors. Mm. Um, but another very important one is autonomy. So um, which can be sort of more of the practical has a bit of a practical side, which means well, you know how easy is it for you to sort of adapt your work. Uh, to things that are are happening. So, um, well, in the Netherlands, I'm not sure if that's relevant for all uh, contexts, but um, uh, a lot of you know people have have young children, and if you have to, if they're they're ill, and you have to sort of organize them being sort of taken care of by someone. Mm -hmm. uh, how easy is it for you to to, to call your work and say, well, I'm going to be a bit later, but I'm going to you know work a little bit later, and then my husband will take come over and come home, and he'll take over. Uh, these are what we call. Um, uh, yeah, so this kind of sort of autonomy to, to do these practical things right. is important. But, you know, if, if you're going to do uh, an operation as a surgeon or you're going to have to be in the factory at a certain time, that's going to be really, really hard. So, yeah. uh, but it does influence um, how stressed people are. Uh, and then also there's a lot of social relations which are important. So, you know, uh, your supervisors, your colleagues, um, if things go wrong, even, you know, things can even go wrong to the extent that people are bullied at the workplace. So these types of things are very um, hard for people to deal with. And then there's organizational changes, like reorganizations. Um, people know, I think, almost everybody who's been in these types of insecure uh, situations knows that it's really hard to uh, mm -hmm. go through these types of layoffs and rehiring. Yeah. And, shuffling of organizations um this is well i could go on and on but i think these are <laughs> yeah no this de definitely uh, helps give more context uh, to our listeners uh moving away from this um you are also the secretary of ico yes or which is also known oh, as ico uh, wdpi <laughs> ico wdpi that's a general <laughs> yes <laughs> ico wdpi um, what has your experience been like? Well, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna advertise WDPI here uh, a little because it's such an inspiring and also a lovely group of people uh, and researchers uh, to work with. Mm -hmm. So I've been interacting with uh, a lot of those groups, well, starting with a uh, a course I did in um, a program I did in in Canada when I just had my PhD. 
I was in this transdisciplinary mm-hmm. program in Canada, for which a lot of people who will be in the WDPI community sort of were educated to look at work disability from a broad perspective. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are teachers or, or um, former students. Uh, but then it, we grew uh, and we're an open community. And there's a lot of um, uh, people out there. Um, but it's, I think it's really nice because it's multidisciplinary. There's mental health problems, people's research here. There's physical um, uh, problems, people mm. doing like quantitative research and then quantitative research. So it's really an open, nice group. Um, and being a secretary next to uh, Professor Alex Colley is also a joy, but also an easy task because he's such a uh, inspiring and hardworking man. That um, yeah, it's uh, it's been a joy. It really is. And um, yeah, we're all we are a bit of a. I, I was thinking about that. We are a bit of a Europe, US, Canada, or like the, the main. Uh, is, well, is like the main. Professor Colley is from Australia, so you've got that covered as and well. Australia. Oh, sorry? He's from Australia, yeah. Yeah, sorry, and also Australia, but I was saying that you know, we would like to be more, we are open, but we haven't been able to include a lot of people from other regions uh, besides that. So it's also an open invitation to come and join us. That's wonderful. Uh, we had an, uh, we, I had a conversation with Professor Colley and he's, uh, the work that he's doing in workers' compensation systems is very important and really enjoyed that conversation with him. Yeah, um, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> um, so as a researcher and educator in this field, um, what are some challenges that you've come across when discussing mental health preve- prevention or rehabilitation in general? And this is uh, t- uh, challenges that you can come across with anyone, right? With the provider or with multiple stakeholders, basically. Well, um, I think like in, the, in, the, in the return to work, um, mm-hmm like field, I think trust is a very, very big issue um, because um, as a, as a, are your, um, as, as a injured worker or a worker with a mental health problem, you're in a very vulnerable position. Hmm. So um, what, whatever context you are in, you need to have, you know, feel that, you know, the help you are getting is, is, is coming from a good place. It's not going to threaten your your financial stability, or it's not, you know, it, it's an actual help. So sometimes even when these types of program are uh, offered to people, uh, they find it hard to accept that it's, you know, uh, coming from a good place mm-hmm. because if they feel like maybe our, your employer is um, sort of, they don't trust their employers who might pay or they don't trust the, the compensation, uh, um, uh, organizations who, who sort of have the sort of authority to decide whether or not you're going to get your, your your money next mm-hmm. month or later on in, in, in life. So I think trust is a, is a big problem, which is different from clinical, um, we, we will not return to work, but the clinical recovery. Because mm-hmm. if you go to your GP or your, uh, to a medical specialist, you automatically yeah. know, well, this person is has only as my interest. And then the return to work field that sometimes it's a bit harder to uh, to, to come to a place where you, you have that trust. Mm. Um, and I think what always baffled me is that uh, we don't do much more uh, prevent uh, primary prevention or universal right. prevention in a new, um, mm-hmm. uh, new way to call it. Um, because even in the Netherlands, it's, I'm, not, I'm not sure if people will know that, but um, 
the first two years of sick leave from a worker are paid by the employer. So you'd think that uh, Dutch employers would be sort of all in line to start doing prevention because if, if things do not end up well, they're, they're mm. paying for it. And still we have like a really hard time getting uh, um, workplaces to start doing prevention because um, so that they know, you know, if they see a problem, if a person is off work, it's a problem. Uh, problems that are sort of ongoing and, and uh, it's, under the it's hard to, to tackle them or it's hard to make it a priority. So that's, um, I think that's one of the big challenges in um, primary prevention of mental health problems, trying to get people to sort of act before the problem uh, arises. I think it's a universal preventive problem. Uh, but we do suffer from that in the mental health field as well. What um, What are some common responses that you get when somebody when you say, "Oh, mental health for workers matter"? Like, I can't imagine that those are easy conversations that you're having. I think the the, the interesting thing is that in in you know these days at least, uh, um, uh, almost everybody in well, um, especially in the Netherlands, but I think it's it's more broader than that. Sort of agrees but that's not that's not the same as, as sort of investing in mental health problems in preventing mental health problems as, as a um, uh, as a workplace and also uh, what's also a bit of a thing that sometimes doesn't help is that almost everybody will have a sort of a personal experience with mental health problem mm -hmm. uh, either you've had one yourself or you've been on the brink or you, you mm -hmm. know a family member or you know a colleague who yeah. uh, had a problem like that and, and so sometimes we feel that we all know what's best and we um uh, we have these pre yeah these these conceptions about about mental health that are sometimes not helpful mm. um yeah I've, I've, I've talked to, to to supervisors who said well you know don't start talking about mental health because you know they'll start getting mental health problems they <laughs> <laughs> so um uh, interesting it's interesting, yeah. So I do think that, like, if you, like the broad uh, concept of mental health matters, people easy, will easily agree. Um, but, but if you and talking about intervention, yeah, and, and actually doing something about it, and also taking your workers seriously, sometimes a bit harder. Um, is there something that um, can be done on like a either on a personal or on a social system level um, in order to change that? Just keep pushing for the cause? Well, I think in, if, I, if I look at the Dutch system, I think um, we, we have our, our health insurance should also include like the work-related um, mm. uh, problems because uh, the, uh, it's, it's now always, people are always uh, thinking, well, do, does the, the employer have to pay for this or should be like the, the society pay for this? And in the end, nobody um, implements like the, the, the help that is actually needed so at, at some, some time. So um, like the who will pay for it and who will get like the the, uh, the benefits from it uh, mm -hmm. and like on a societal level will, you know, the, it's very it's very easy to, to see that it's uh, it's economically sane to uh, try to address these types of problems. But then if you look at the 
who has to pay for it and who has actually feels that it's going to be, um, uh, uh, well, you know, actually has the benefits, then, mm. you know, these are sometimes different systems. And then um, I think financial, only financial reform would really solve that problem. So, uh, but um, I think also we need to acknowledge that people with, you know, almost emerging mental health problems are least likely to start knocking on doors and say, oh, I need help. And I'm going to look at the website from our, my, our company, you know, what the psychologist, etc. So um, there's two types of solution in my, uh, in my opinion. There's like this uh, screening type of research yeah. uh, or programs mm -hmm. we, can, we can do. And that's very easy. And I've, I've experimented with that. And it was really good. And also, you know, economically sane <laughs> to do that. <laughs> Um, and then there's um, training colleagues and uh, to sort of be attentive to, mm. to other colleagues and, and make sure that we can talk about these signals we see. Because usually when someone's off work, there's like 10 persons saying, oh, yeah, I was wondering. Things were not going well. Mm. Uh, we see that happening, but we need to know, you know, what we can do about it. About that, so, right. Yeah. Um, do you have any key recommendations you can offer to employers and occupational health professionals to effectively address psychosocial risk factors and support well-being of workers? Um, yeah, I would think you, you need to assess. Well, uh, I think I've, I've talked a little bit about that uh, earlier on, that you need to know what the problems are yeah. on a like the organizational level, but also on the individual level. Yeah. And um, I think it's not enough to, to have um, programs out there that you can uh, access as a uh, as an employer. Sometimes it's, it work, does work like that. Like, oh, we have all these psychologists and uh, you can do courses uh, and we all, we have it. Uh, and then the workers, yeah, the workers who need it won't be going to these types of uh, uh, programs. So there's trying to screen or assess like the, the or you know, workers and, and see what they need has to be done, but it has to be done like, it's been an ongoing process. Mm -hmm. And also um, just doing more awareness campaigns, it seems, from your... Yes, and I, I forgot that I wanted to, uh, there's also like a big thing that... Uh, Go on. If you're gonna, if you're gonna offer help, uh, make sure uh, we, we've seen that it does really, it is, especially in the in depression, we've, uh, I've, I've done a cup brain uh, review that really, uh, really shows very nicely that if you compare like a clinical intervention, like only addressing like the yeah, mental health, like the depression, treating the depression, it doesn't work as good as treating the depression, but also uh, making sure there's an occupational health type of intervention yeah. accompanying that clinical intervention. And then we saw that it, it was a difference of 25 days uh, over a year. So 25 days in one person, uh, an earlier return to work, uh, that's, that's a lot of money in most uh, societies. So yeah. um, I think it's a very good case for occupational health working together with clinical uh, colleagues. So multi-pronged multi, multi uh, approach, essentially. Yes, yeah, but yeah, for sure. Um, and ma making sure that uh, the, uh, people think of work because... Yeah, as we talked on the, like the, the, the earlier part of our interview, um, uh, it's, it's not very common. It's not very logical of, of that all clinical 
um, professionals will know that it's, it's important mm -hmm. to get people to return to work. It does help right. them, but for a clinical uh, professional, it may seem like it's a uh, you're you're um, you're threatening their mental health in in a way. So that's a misconception that yeah, only occupational health professionals can mm. can help tackle. Um, coming back to the conference with that, and thank you for that. Um, you, in addition to your keynote, you're also hosting an interactive workshop with Dr. Kayur um, called Occupational Medicine for Health Professionals. Um, so what can attendees expect out of this? Yes, well, um, I'm very I'm looking forward to that uh, to that uh, workshop. Of course, um, I think that really uh, the idea of this workshop really came from uh, our experiences in undergraduate uh, medical schools, where we have to where we want to teach uh, um, uh, up, uh, future doctors about uh, how important work is, and then we uh, we saw that if we teach them in the way of uh, just offering a course occupational health. They were like, oh, no, probably not going to be an occupational physician. It's not interesting for me, etc." And once we started to integrate like work topics with the, like the clinical um, uh, problems and we, mm -hmm. where we um, had um, presented them with cases where it's important to know what people are doing to have like the right clinical treatment, yep. but also uh, to know, you know, if you're treating someone, know what like the other thing that is going on, mm -hmm. like the occupational uh, part of the of the treatment. So uh, the people were much more interested and, and, and students were much more um, engaged in, mm. um, in, in including that. So we're going to talk a lot about integrating like the clinical and the work parts and we have, um, uh, we'll have like examples, but we're also going to uh, help, you know, people think of their own situation and help them develop like plans for their courses. That's, That's going to be here. really interesting. Yeah, I agree. I hope people will come and join us. So um, speaking of students, um, what advice do you have for students who are getting into a similar field or, or people who are just starting to do research or uh, have just graduated and about to get into clinical practice? If they're going to do work disability, uh, I'm going to assume you're, you're talking yes, about this, then yes. um, I think one of the most important things is to uh, go and uh, meet people from other jurisdictions, other other countries, mm -hmm. other other regions, because the way you only really really grasp the way that you're like the whole system and the way we think about mental health or right. like work disability is influenced by uh, how things are organized in a certain country. Until you talk to other people from that. Um, mm -hmm. From that other system, and mm -hmm. then you know it, it starts to really um, dawn on you how you know how uh, how other other research is being done in a different context, and how how, right. how it affects the things you're reading. I for me, like one of the big aha moments was um, uh, understanding that I couldn't understand why people were talking about back injury all the time. And in the Netherlands, we were talking about back pain. And I, I saw all these papers and I've been, you know, I've been reading them for like back pain and return to work or back injury and return to work for years. And then even when I finally met, met people from, uh, say, Canada they and, and the United States, they told me that, well, only if a back problem is a work-related incident, then it'll get compensated by the system. So mm. you're not 
you're, you're never going to have back pain. You're always going to have a big in, back injury and, you know, you're, you're going to have this incident at work. And then finally, yeah, that's what's the final straw. So it has to be sort of an incident. But it, it's, we're talking about the same people, but we call it differently. We label it differently. So these things you only learn if you um, really go and meet people from these other uh, contexts, I guess. And also try and meet people who do other types of research yeah. uh, and see how small your own view is. Get into sort of a bubble. This much with our quantitative glasses on. Yeah, that's really, um, I think that's going to be really helpful. Uh, and I cannot um, emphasize that what you just told me, so many other speakers are echoing that same sentiment is get out of your bubble, meet other people, and you'll realize um, how everything is so connected with each other. So yes, thank fine. you for that. Um, on the other hand, do you have any advice for employers? Well, yes, start investing in, um, in, in prevention and start investing in uh, sort of screening workers with problems and, and sort of actively guiding them to the right uh, type of help before they um, uh, start being absent from work. Mm -hmm. And if they are absent from work, please don't only hire clinical uh, help, but uh, hire occupational health professionals to help people uh, return to work. And uh, do you have sort of a first step that they can do to address this? Well, as in I don't mean to put, put you on the spot at all. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, um, I think I, I, I would start with, um, uh, I don't think it, there, there's like, it, it's easy to do just one thing. I think you should First, yeah, yeah hmm. try and, and, and sort of assess your, your your working condition, your psychosocial risk factors, but at the same time, make sure that there's good help available for um, people who are um, almost off work or off work. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so maybe the first step would then be to hire someone to help you uh, uh, organize that. And there's a lot of help and instruments and things out there. So... Hmm. Um, I think if you talk to someone or you hire someone who knows about all these types of instruments that's already right. out there, so this, I think the biggest problem is that we're not implementing things. It's not the biggest problem is that, but we don't know what to do. So maybe employees should start getting informed about all the options out there. Hmm. That makes sense. And I hope this reaches the audience, yeah. <laughs> the intended audience. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, do. I, I, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you so much, Karen. Uh, thank you for your time. Uh, this was, I really enjoyed this episode. It was very insightful for me. And I think listeners will find, um, I hope listeners find it insightful as well. So I hope so too. And thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about this. But also it's been very nice talking to you specifically. So um, thank you. Well, thank you. I look forward to meeting you in September. Yeah, we're going to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye. Bye.